right, beautiful. Okay, so take a picture because this is the most pregnant you're going to see me preach ever again. <laughs> Five weeks to go. <laughs> Praise the Lord because I feel like I need to pee all the time. And um, can I say that? Have you started the recording, Jude? <laughs> okay, for whoever's getting the podcasts. <laughs> Toilet break. I might need to take several over the next 30 minutes, but... um. <laughs> They're taking pictures of me. Don't put me on Instagram. I can't. I'm too sweaty. Oh, I did. When I did uh, I did the summer camp down in Scott's Head, was it two weeks ago, three weeks ago? And it's like the whole time I'm preaching, I feel like my pelvis is going to fall out. Whew, so let us pray. Lord Jesus, <laughs> that does not happen today. <laughs> or that I don't go into early labor or something like that. <laughs> all right, all the young people look uncomfortable in the front, so I'll just get on with it. All right, um, so yeah, this is good news, though. I finally get to finish the series on Judges. Somebody say hallelujah, because I started in the first trimester. <laughs> okay, now I've got five weeks to go. We're finally going to finish it. So I'm like, if, if no one else is happy about that, I'm really happy about that. Okay, so if anyone actually remembers... Um, <laughs> We, at one stage um, in our life as a church, we worked through uh, the book of the major judges in the book of Judges. There's six major judges. And we did, um, we did Othniel, we did Ehud, we did uh, Deborah and Gideon and Jephthah. And today we are up to the crowd favorite, Samson. Yes, the last recorded judge in the book. Okay, so um, just a little recap, mainly um, for the recording, but a little recap on the... Um, on the book, every judge is going to foreshadow Christ in some way. And that's what we've looked at. They're going to point to Jesus in some way. But as you read the book of Judges, um, the further along you go, the more it spirals out of control. And every judge, every savior figure is going to get, you know, a bit more flawed, a bit more defective. And their story is more interesting and colorful. Okay, so it gets really interesting uh, by the time you read Samson's story. Anyone read Samson's story? Yeah, it is the longest one, okay? And so the context of this little but um, extremely long series now, it's like the same length as Neville's now, isn't it? Six, six odd months. Um, <laughs> um, the context of this whole series was the calling of God uh, on our lives, if anyone remembers that, okay? Because God, in this fascinating book of the Bible, God calls these broken humans, these judges, uh, to inevitably change their generation, all right? And it's quite bizarre. It's fascinating because they, their stories, their narratives are so uh, flawed and colorful, okay? So the, the context was the calling of God on our lives. Can we too be called to change our generation despite our flaws and despite our fragility, despite our humanity. Is that making sense? Is that ringing a bell to anyone? All right, good. The more responsive you are this morning, the better I'm going to preach. So, yep, I may lose my lung capacity the further along we go this morning. So, you're going to have to do it for me. And uh, we all have a calling. We all have a unique purpose uh, for which we were, were put on the earth. So if you are saved this morning, you are also called. If you're saved this morning, you're called. But salvation is something that is received, I believe. But calling is something that you have to step into. That is what I believe. I, I think it's very possible to be saved, yet not step into your specific calling. I think it's possible to be saved. And that was kind of my heart 
behind initiating this whole series and, and, and sort of basing it on our specific calling. Because if it were impossible not to fulfill the calling of God, Paul the Apostle uh, wouldn't have said in his letters, fulfill the calling, fulfill the ministry entrusted to you. Okay, at the end of one of his letters, I think it's Colossians, I can't remember, but he literally starts calling out people, people's names specifically. And he's like, you tell them that I said to fulfill the calling. You tell them I said to fulfill the ministry. All right. I think he said to young Timothy in the Passion Translation, it says, carry in your heart the passion of your calling. Carry in your heart the passion of your calling. Okay, so I want to be Auntie Paul this morning, Auntie Pauline, and I, and I want to say don't miss it. <laughs> Carry in your heart the passion of your calling. Fulfill your calling as we finish this series. Hallelujah. Okay, fulfill uh, your calling. Okay, because Samson, this guy, he, he came so close to missing it. All right, lots, many times, okay, in all his brokenness and his detours, if you know anything of his narrative, all his detours um, from the calling of God, but actually he didn't miss it in the end. He didn't miss it. Over the course of his bumpy sort of roller coaster, <laughs> up and down sort of uh, story, we, you and I, can stand over and above Scripture and look at his story and we can say, oh, he fulfilled it. The guy wasn't perfect, but he fulfilled his calling. He did deliver Israel into victory. He did deliver Israel from the Philistines. He, he didn't miss it. He fulfilled it. All right, and it's not, it's definitely not cookie cutter. It's not, um, it's not black and white, his story. Destiny is not a mathematical formula, but even in all the ups and downs and the detours and the flaws of Samson, he didn't miss his calling. Okay, and may it be said of us today is what I want to speak about. May we be able to stand before the Father and say, I fulfilled your dream. I fulfilled the calling. Is that okay? Is that all right? Beautiful. Okay, so Samson's narrative is the longest. We're going to jump straight in this morning. I don't have time for small talk. We're just going to go straight in. Okay, you all right with that? Beautiful. Okay, so his narrative is the longest and it's, it's sort of, it's fascinating, isn't it? It's filled with uh, riddles and secrets and all these little paradoxes. And because Samson himself, as the character we're looking at, he is a living paradox. Okay, he is, he is physically so strong Okay, remember his supernatural strength that he was gifted with. But he is spiritually so weak. The weakest of all the judges we have seen this so far. He is both saviour and sinner. Okay, we don't know what to do with Samson when we read about him. We're like, why are you in the Bible? Okay, most of us are aware of his shenanigans with Delilah. All right, but uh, let me tell you, that's not the only shenanigans that he gets up to in his story okay his whole life is littered with flaws and it's acting as a mirror for the spiritual condition of Israel at the time his life is just reflecting Israel are you with me beautiful Samson Samson in his whole life his story he lusts after foreign women and sexual immorality and he's reflecting Israel over here because they lust after nations and 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 idolatry yeah Samson was uh you know raised up out of nothing and richly gifted in the same way Israel too as a remnant was raised up out of nothing you you know where I'm going Samson's strength lay in the vow the Nazarite vow that he had made with God 
Israel's strength lay in the covenant God had made with them. You understand? So we got to remember the whole time we're reading that he is a mirror. His life is a mirror um, of his generation, okay? And so this morning we could read um, many parts of his story. They're all kind of uh, colourful, but um, we're going to look at just one section today, just three verses, and it is not Samson and Delilah, just by the way, because it's too predictable. Okay, so Judges chapter 16 this morning, verses 1 to 3, just three verses. Have you got it in you? Okay, well, two people do. Praise the Lord. Okay, Samson went down to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites, this is, <laughs> it's like, we well, haven't had your coffee this morning. Well, too late. We're just going there anyway. Okay, the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city, at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of morning and then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Okay, so that's our key passage this morning, full of hope and, and peace and joy. Okay. <laughs> okay, so here we see Samson. He's the judge. He's the leader of the nation. And he is called of God. He is predestined to bring victory to Israel. Yet here we find him in the city of Gaza. We find him as far away from the heart of Israel as you can get. He's in Gaza, which is a key Philistine city. He is, he is in the heart of enemy territory. Okay, so the first question we have to ask is, what on earth is Samson doing in the red light district of enemy territory? And the answer is exactly what you think he's doing, okay? He couldn't have traveled any further <laughs> from what and where God had called him to be in this moment. And there's a specific reason I've chosen this passage this morning, okay? And this is the, fir- this is the first irony, the first paradox we see in this portion of Scripture. He was supposed to be delivering, this is his calling, he's supposed to be delivering a nation from spiritual adultery and and perversion and here he is in bed with a prostitute first thing we see he has a spiritual vulnerability that has led him to this place led him away from his calling and spiritual vulnerabilities or sin if I can be blunt this morning as if I hadn't been already sin will do that our our spiritual weaknesses will always do that it will always attempt to lead people away from their calling. It will distract us from the purposes of God. And the enemy knows exactly what to uh, tempt us with to derail us. In Samson's case, it was sexual immorality. In my case, it would be something different. But whatever the case, okay, it says that the enemy, uh, when he went down into Gaza, was informed of Samson's presence. They were informed of his presence, so they surrounded the place, crouching, ready to destroy him at first light, okay? High-intensity scripture this morning. So just a little 
little bit of background. In those times, the city would usually have an inner gate and an outer gate. You need to stay with me because we need to get this together, okay? The city would have an inner gate and an outer gate and a guard would station themselves in between and that gate would be locked until uh, the next day so that it was impossible, humanly speaking, impossible to escape. Like once you're in, you can't get out. Yeah, once you're in, you're in. Your shirt is making me so happy this morning, by the way. I know, sunflowers. Beautiful. Once you're in, you can't get out. Once you're in, you're trapped because of the gate, because of the way it was set up. And I really want us to get this morning that it was impossible, everybody say impossible, to escape. So poor old Samson, he has unknowingly walked straight into a trap. That is impossible to escape from. Poor guy. I mean, it's his fault, but poor guy. And the enemy is ready. The Philistines are ready to turn his moment of temptation into a tomb. Okay, they have surrounded him. They have sealed him in. And uh, they're ready to destroy him as soon as the night is over, as soon as the light dawns. Okay, and if you read back on Samson's narrative, this is not the first time he has got himself into trouble, okay, with immorality. All right, he's done it again, and we haven't even got to Delilah yet, okay? That's the next story. This is not the first time, but he, what is happening here in the story is he's in this cycle of sin, okay? He's in, his vulnerabilities keep him going back to the same ditches, okay? And these ditches, if you're following me, have the potential, listen to me, to derail him from his destiny. And as I mentioned, he is a mirror of Israel and the bondage, the cycle of bondage, they keep returning to the whole Old Testament. They keep returning to the same ditches, all right? And we got to remember that Samson here in the Bible is not there to make us look good. We don't read his story and we go, hey, well, I'm doing better than this guy. If at least, you know, (laughs) we don't read his story because, you know, it makes us feel better about ourselves. There's a little bit of Samson in all of us. Samson isn't just reflecting the nation of Israel. He's actually a reflection of humanity, his life, okay? Because we all tend to return to the same cycles of brokenness. Like bondage tends to work in patterns. You understand? We can return to the same old fear, the same old doubt, the same old tendency to get offended you see what I'm saying the same unforgiveness this whatever it is this morning the same immorality spirit of criticism the same addiction the same insecurity the person or the substance or the scenario may change but our reaction can be the same if we are caught in a cycle and we find ourselves in a trap of some kind and it can be frustrating would you agree We think, how did I get here again? I thought I had overcome this. I thought I was over this. I thought I forgave that person. Why am I getting offended again? Why did I believe that lie again? Why am I in this unhealthy type of relationship again? Okay? And what happens is, and this is where I'm going this morning, what happens is our confidence in our calling gets knocked. And our tendency 
when we discover that we have brokenness, like, oh, really, I have sin in my life. We disqualify ourselves from the calling of God. And sometimes our greatest pain is not the stuff that happens to us, but because of us. Yeah? And our own weaknesses hold the megaphone of disqualification over our lives. And the enemy will use shame and regret to keep us where we are. He says it's too late. What's done is done. You're too young. You're too old. I wasn't looking at anyone in particular (laughs) over there in that region. You passed the expiry date on the calling because you have made a mistake. You're too far gone. See, the enemy's biggest victory is not to get us to sin. It's to get us to stay in it. And you... And you may think, it's to make you think that once you go down there, you can't come back up. That is the enemy's greatest victory. Once you trip, you are trapped. Just as we see in this story, it's to get you to think that once you have made your bed, you have to lie in it. <laughs> and I realize the irony of that statement because Samson is literally in bed with a prostitute in our story this morning, okay? If anyone deserves to be called unqualified, it's this guy. He is, paradoxically, one of the most significant and screwed up people in our Bible. And yet God calls him. And he chose him. And unbelievably, God anointed him. And the religion in me cannot stand that. And I can't, like, it's going to ruffle some religious feathers this morning, right? Is anyone getting ruffled this morning? God chooses to anoint him, but it's because I think we write people off so much quicker than God does. Now, I'm not saying that our mistakes and our sin don't have consequences this morning. I'm just saying that they don't disqualify us. Are you with me? I heard that. Okay, this is the bit that drives me crazy in the story, okay? God didn't take Samson's anointing away when he sinned. He used it to get him out of it, to get him out of the mess. Remember that his anointing was physical strength. It was the gift that God had given him. In verse 3, it says, At midnight... He arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all. Okay, there's no way a man in his own strength could ever do that. There's no way a human in their own strength could carry gates so heavy, all right? This is humanly impossible. These gates were made of heavy wood, okay, secured by brass or iron, they're strengthened by towels. And the author of Judges makes it clear that he didn't just open the gates, he didn't just force them open, but he completely uproots them. Samson uproots them and then he drags them uphill 60 kilometers as you do, okay, out of Philistine territory all the way to Judah, all the way to the Mount Hebron into Israel territory. This is humanly impossible. 
which means Samson was still operating under his anointing. Supernaturally energized and strengthened by the Spirit of God. His anointing didn't leave him because he sinned. The Holy Spirit didn't leave him because he sinned, but God used it to work over and above his weakness and pull him out of... And we see another paradox here in his story. Samson's darkest moment. Physically and spiritually, he is in bed with a prostitute and it is midnight. His darkest moment becomes his brightest. Because his escape plan simultaneously robs the enemy. It, it robs the enemy of their city gates. Now, you need to understand the significance of what has just happened, okay? Gates in a city were a symbol of authority and power. Are you with me? They were where justice and court was held in a city. They were the centers of economical and civil affairs, okay? They allowed entry and exit into a city. They protected the city. Okay, so if one possessed the city gates... They had control and dominion over a city, right? And so the phrase, to possess the gate of your enemies, became a metaphor for totally overthrowing and destroying your enemy, right? So Samson robs the gates of the enemy and literally gives them to Israel. His personal victory in these three verses, his personal victory becomes Israel's victory. Do you understand? Because now Israel owns the gates of the enemy. The grace of God that we sing about today is that at your lowest, darkest, most broken moment, it still has the potential to become not only your greatest victory, but the churches. Amen. Your area of greatest defeat can be someone else's great blessing if you allow God to help you overcome it. This is a different kind of message that I would usually preach this morning, but I just really felt to do it anyway. Even if you're in too deep like Samson, even if you're, in, you're too broken or if it feels like where you are, it is impossible, humanly speaking, to get out of it. Where there is sin and struggle in our life, there is potential for victory. Do you believe that this morning? We've got to get a hold of this. Okay, remember Samson, he doesn't force the gate open. He doesn't, he doesn't force it open. He doesn't open it. He literally tears it up by the roots. And we've got to, we've got to I think there's a spiritual principle here that we've got to grab a hold of this morning. Sin in our lives has got to be uprooted, not simply avoided. You with me? <laughs> It's got to be torn up by the roots. Cutting fruit off a tree is not going to stop more fruit from growing back. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Taking the chocolate out of your fridge, it's not going to solve an addiction. I know. (laughs) Breaking up with someone does not fix your relationship vulnerabilities. Young people, um, 
something more profound needs to be done or we will keep returning to the same old ditches, the same cycles. We'll keep returning to the same place, the, the same fear, the same insecurity, the same, all those things. We'll keep returning to it just like Israel does the entire Old Testament. Something supernatural energized by the Spirit of God has to happen in our lives. Now listen, I didn't say easy, I said supernatural. Because then we have the uphill journey to navigate. After Samson uproots the gates, he then carries them all the way to Judah. And there was a journey. And we don't know how long it took either. All we know is that it was miraculous. All we know... I don't think the author wants us to take note of how long Samson took. Maybe it took a day. Maybe it took an hour. I don't know. The guy's crazy. Like You just read his whole story. Who actually knows? But I don't think that's the point the author is trying to make in this story. He's trying to say no matter how long it took, the journey was anointed. The journey into this place of victory from the heart of Philistine territory to the heart of Israel territory, it was one that was anointed of God. It was supernatural. It was miraculous. And it was energized by the Lord. By your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. Come on, people. We sang that this morning, but do we really believe what we sing? By your spirit, by your Holy Spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. And what I'm saying this morning is that getting victory in our lives from sin is utterly supernatural. And it is miraculous and it may happen overnight or it may happen over seasons, but it is supernaturally energized by God. You agree with me this morning? No one, if I could get someone to get a hold of this this morning, it would be my reward. No one could take Samson's calling away from him, not even himself. But he had to arise. He had to give God something to anoint, you know what I'm saying? He had to stand up. At midnight, like literally the scripture says, at midnight he arose and he walked out of there. He had to arise. And the same place, listen to me, the same place Samson was ensnared by sin became the place that he won victory for the nation of Israel because the victory of God doesn't start on the hill of Hebron. It starts in Gaza. The victory of God starts when you just stand up, is what I'm saying this morning. When you just get up in your defeat and in your mess and in your struggle, when you just stand up where you are, that's where the victory, that is where grace meets us, is when we just stand up. That's where the victory begins. Grace, this is amazing grace. Grace is the power to overcome sin and not lie in it. <laughs> we talk about the grace of God and it's not, it's not soft and it's not fluffy and it's not sugar-coated. Grace, this is amazing grace. Grace is the grip that God has on us to pull us out of defeat. All right? Good. 
He's not the God who bulldozes our destinies and starts fresh when we make a mistake. He's not a part of this generation that just throws stuff away when it's broken or when it's not working properly. God's not like that. When I fail, he doesn't, you know, bulldoze me and create a new Nikki and with a new destiny and a new calling and new things to do. He doesn't do that. He seems to like the original material. He seems to want to keep working with the original material. He seems to enjoy the original material. I think he likes me. Because God, he doesn't bulldoze. He resurrects. Do you know the difference? Christ said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am, <laughs> I am the resurrection and the life. You know, you know what he's saying there? It's a picture. He's saying, I am your stand up and recovery. I am your stand up and recovery. That's what Christ is saying. He's declaring, I am your stand up and recovery. So there is no addiction or vulnerability or area of defeat that can keep us from standing back up this morning. Is that good news or is that bad news this morning? Come on, people, talk to me. The devil has no keeping power. You see, he can, he can shut your mouth, but he can't keep it shut. Do you understand? He can, he can knock you down, but he can't keep you down. He can lure you into sin, but he cannot keep you trapped in it. He can kill you, but he can't, he can't even keep you dead. Come on, somebody. Proverbs 24. <laughs> Come on. Let's get excited about the gospel this morning because this is it. We'll just pretend it's Resurrection Sunday at Easter time, okay? Proverbs 24 verse 16 says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. They stand up and they recover. Even if it's midnight. Even if they're in a bed of sin, they rise again and again and again and again because He is the God of again. Is this for somebody this morning? It says, but Samson stay in bed only until midnight, the darkest part of the night. There is always a midnight opportunity in God. God always provides a way out of the mess, even if you are the one who made it. Do you believe that today? Even if it's your darkest hour, even if it's so dark that you can't even see your way out of this mess, God will provide a midnight opportunity. And I want to ask someone this morning, are you brave enough? I don't know who it is. Are you brave enough to arise today? Are you brave enough to arise out of failure and struggle and sin and try again? Even if you feel trapped and hemmed in this morning. Even if you feel like you're surrounded by enemies. Even if you feel like you are surrounded by fear. You're surrounded by doubt. You're surrounded by temptation. Shame and regret and fear wants to keep you where you are. It makes you feel like you've got to stay where you are. Are you brave enough to arise today? Are you brave enough to rise 
in the middle of your darkest hour, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your midnight mess and walk into recovery, into victory, to take that which was designed to trap you uphill, if that's the case, into the place of victory. Because this is the grace of God. This is the grace of God to keep running the race, even if we've tripped again. To keep serving God, to keep worshipping God, to keep coming to church, to keep believing there is a calling on your life, even when you have made a mistake. Come on. This is what the gospel is about. It is about imperfect people still being called to change a generation, still being able to stand up and rise again and go for it. Do we want to do that this morning? Come on, I might have the breath knocked out of me, but by the power of His Spirit, I will get back up. Were we not singing that this morning? I might have got myself into this bed, but by His Spirit, I will rise From the ashes of defeat, my reputation might be in tatters or my heart might be broken. My marriage might be in a mess, but as long as there's breath in my lungs, I can get back up this morning. Come on, church. (laughs) I know you're hot and sweaty, but I'm sweatier than you, okay? So as long as there is a pulse in you this morning, I just want to let you know there will always, always be a purpose for you, okay? This is not Christian philosophy. This is Christian reality. Yes, we can't afford to wallow in our sin and failure. We cannot afford to live as though we are hopeless and He is lifeless because it's not true. He can resurrect your calling even when you've abandoned it and left it for dead. Come on. Just like Samson abandoned Israel and snuck all the way into Philistine territory, into enemy territory, into the heart of enemy territory. You can avoid the calling of God, but you cannot kill it. If you keep stepping into it, he will keep resurrecting it. I want to encourage someone with that this morning. You can run, but his grace will always run further and faster than you. Amen. Come on, he can bring you forth from the tomb of sin and struggle and failure because for the believer in Christ, life has to come from the tomb. Yeah, he will turn the trap, he will turn the tomb into a delivery room if you let him. I say all this, I wanted to say all this about Samson's messy, broken life. (laughs) Because like every other judge in the book of Judges, he is pointing to a greater saviour figure, to a greater judge, one that never dies. And we know this. We know this. Genesis 22 verse 17 says, And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And we, it means he will steal the authority and power of his enemies. Remember? Remember gates symbolized authority and power over a city? Now Samson, in these three verses we, we read today, Samson temporarily fills this scripture, but there is one who fulfills it for all eternity. And his name is Jesus. 
Jesus Christ, person we're celebrating today. Does anyone love Jesus in here this morning? Come on. Come on, we're here for a purpose this morning. We're here to magnify Him this morning. We're here to glorify Him this morning. This is why we gathered today. We're not here to just sit in chairs for 40 minutes, two hours, and grab cups of tea. We're here to exalt Jesus Christ. And this is why. Because He has done what He has done. (laughs) He literally went right into the heart of enemy territory. He went down into the spiritual Gaza. Do you see what Samson, even in all his brokenness and in his flaws and his mistakes, do you see what his life was pointing to? Jesus went down to the spiritual Gaza, sinless. Can you picture it? Can you picture it? <laughs> this is what I do when I read the Bible. You've got to read the Bible with all five senses. You've got to picture, can you picture Christ going down at humanity's most broken moment, at our midnight, at our most broken moment. He and every demon in hell standing guard and surrounding him. Jesus, tough man to kill, but <laughs> we got him. We got him in our grasp. He is surrounded and he is trapped. And even in the natural world, there's a stone over the tomb. It is sealed. It is done. There is it's guarded. Soldiers stand around. It's they got him. There's no escaping now, Jesus. (laughs) In my darkest hour, at my most broken moment, he accomplished something humanly impossible. He escaped the trap of death. Now, can you picture him? Can you picture what he was doing in this moment? (laughs) We usually only do this at Easter. Can you picture him marching through the corridors of hell right up to the gates? (laughs) And he reaches down in front of every every dark power, every every demon of of offense or alcoholism or addiction or, or fear. And he pulls the gates up by the roots. (laughs) and drags them all the way out of the grave into our territory, into the heart of the church. And, And what has happened is he seized the authority and the power of the kingdom of hell and gave it to the church. This is what Christ has done. His victory has become our victory. Are you getting what I'm trying to say this morning? The whole point, this is how I wanted to end this series. The devil gets way too much credit for coming to steal, kill and destroy. Because I tell you what, Christ is the true thief. Because he came to rob the grave. Come on, we're singing this this morning. He stole the gates of hell and he broke the trapping power of sin in our lives forever. He said, I lived 
and I died and I rose again. Amen. In the book of Je- in the book of Revelation, it is done. It is finished. It is over. Now what used to own you, He now owns. Come on. What threatens to destroy us, He has destroyed the power of. <laughs> what stole from you, He has stolen back. Now He says to the kingdom of hell, go ahead and build a wall around my people. Go ahead, go, go ahead and surround them. Go ahead and trap them. Go ahead, make your walls as strong as you want, devil, because I stole the gates. Devil, your city has no authority and power because I stole the gates. Make your walls around my people. Come on, somebody. Make your walls as strong as you want because I stole the gates and I have made a way for my people, no matter how broken, no matter how dark it is, no matter how many enemies surround them, I've made a way for them to walk into victory. Do we believe that this morning? Come on, we believe that this morning. Isaiah 45, I want to finish with this. I'll go ahead of you. This is God speaking. I'll go ahead of you clearing and paving the road. I'll break down bronze city gates, smash padlocks, kick down barred entrances. I'll lead you to buried treasures, secret caches of valuables, confirmations that it is, in fact, I, God, the God of Israel, who calls you by name, calls you. The devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but (laughs) calls you by your name. And the tomb wasn't a trap for me and you. It was a trap for hell itself. Amen. There is no sin, no brokenness, no mess, no demon, no power in hell that can keep you trapped this morning. Why don't you stand? Jesus walked out of the tomb so that we could walk out of ours. Amen. The cross was a one-off event. But the tomb is empty forever and the reverberating power of the empty tomb will echo from generation to generation to generation to generation to remind us that He will revive us from the ashes of defeat over and over and over and over again. Come on, to those who think they are unqualified or disqualified this morning, I want to let you know that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He qualifies the called. And so I titled this message to finish this series, Own Your Resurrection. Own Your Resurrection. Somebody, would you please keep saying yes to the calling of God? Would you please keep stepping into it? Would you not disqualify yourself? Would you not write yourself off? Because wherever there is a tomb, there is a resurrection for anyone who places their trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, wherever there is death, there is potential for life. Wherever there is a grave, there is potential for a garden. Wherever there is dirt, there is potential for treasure. Wherever there is sin, there is grace to overcome it. And wherever there is a Gaza in your life, there is a way to walk in.
to victory in the name of Jesus. Come on, can we sing this morning? Can we sing those?